0: Well, hello, I'm back. Good to see you again. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, whether it's a a Bible or a phone or a tablet, turn with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning, verses 25 through 40, a rather long passage. But before we do the scripture reading, I want to give just a little bit of an an introduction to it. We are talking this morning about a singular focus, quote-unquote. For Paul, the Apostle Paul, the singular focus is a life of singleness. He is espousing that in the passage. He espouses that everywhere because he himself was single. In chapter 7, verse 8, Paul says this, But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them to remain even as I Apparently, Paul was not married and never married, and he was called uh, as a bachelor and remained a bachelor his entire life of ministry. And he says in this passage, and he will say uh, other places, this is a good thing. It's a good thing to not get married in certain instances. We'll talk about that as we go along. Um, This passage is like no other passage by the Apostle Paul. Many of the things that Paul writes are difficult to understand. Peter, you remember Peter saying that Paul, he's hard to understand. (laughs) Just don't get him sometimes. And this is one of those passages that is difficult, perhaps one of the the hardest. There are a couple of others that are coming up here pretty soon, but this one is, is particularly hard. One reason is there are translation issues. And when we do the scripture reading, you'll see in a moment, if you have a different version from what I'm reading, um, it is translated different. And when you have a translation issue, then you have an interpretive issue, because then you have to interpret that translation in a different way. And if you have an interpretive issue, then you have an applicational issue, because your application is based upon the interpretation that is based upon The translation. And so we have a bit of a problem in the passage this morning, but hopefully we can just um, uh, explain it in such a way that it'll make sense. And I think in the end, the answer is quite simple of what Paul is saying. And he is simply giving his opinion that uh, those who are single should consider remaining single because of difficulties in the world. There are pressing circumstances in the world in which we live. And Paul says, if you're not married, I think it's better that you don't get married. And you might consider that. But if you are married, if you do want to get married, that's fine too. And at the end, that's basically what he says. It's fine if you get married. It's fine if you don't get married. But my opinion is that you should not. Now, Paul begins our verses this morning with the words, Now concerning virgins. Um, This phrase, now concerning, this is the second time we've seen it. In chapter uh, in chapter seven, verse one, he said, "Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is not good for a man to touch a woman." Apparently, the church at Corinth had some questions. They wanted Paul to ask, answer these questions, like the Bible answer man. Hey, we want you. We want you to tell us your answer to some of these questions. And he, verse. 1 of chapter 7, now concerning the things which you wrote is not good for a man to touch a woman, our passage today, now concerning virgins, chapter 8, verse 1 of next week, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, chapter 16, verse 1, now concerning the collection of the saints. So from chapter 7 to the end of the book, we have kind of a um, high-level outline that Paul is giving us concerning these various issues that he is seeking to uh, explain to them. The problem here is the translation and exactly what it is he's talking about. So that's what we are going to be uh, looking at uh, this morning. Um, Our passage is rather long, verses 25 through 40, so uh, without delay, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to that passage, 1 Corinthians 7, and we know that um, Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth, and he was the way, the truth, and the life, he's given us the spirit of truth, he is the God of truth, this is the truth. Would you stand as we read the truth this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 25 through 40, the word of God. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried, and the virgin, is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord." But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the spirit of God in God's people said. "Amen." Thank you. Please be seated. So we're going to break the passage into four different parts. And the first thing we want to look at is that there are practical reasons to delay marriage that Paul gives. There are practical reasons to delay marriage. Now, we have to understand up front, you might read the passage and think, wow, um, singleness is where it's at. That's the only option, or that's the, the best option for all people. Um, that would belie the rest of what the scriptures teach. Marriage is the norm in the world It is not good for the man to be alone, we read in the book of Genesis. And God instituted marriage, and it is the basic norm of people to, to meet someone, to get married, to have children, because family is the basic building block of all of society. So you have to keep that in mind as we go through this. Marriage is the norm. It is not the exception to the rule. The exception to the rule is singleness, and some people are called to singleness not everyone is called to marriage, and Paul is espousing the value of not being married. So he says, now concerning virgins, um, if you have the English Standard Version uh, right off the bat, you see a problem because it says, now concerning those betrothed. Um, this is the word virgins. It's the Greek word virgin. It does not, it's not the word betrothed, But so we'll just say that up front. Well, it's still. He could be referring to those who are betrothed. But he's talking about not um, young women in regards of sexual purity. I think he assumes that. But he's talking about young women who have never been married before. That's the issue. We don't know what the question was. Now, concerning virgins, you wrote to me about this. We don't know what the question was, but I think as we go through, we'll probably find the answer. And I think it's really evident. But he says, I have no command in this matter about young virgins, young women who have never been married. But I do have an opinion, he says. I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Notice how the, this passage is bracketed with I have an opinion in verse 40 says, but in my opinion, the widow is happier if she remains unmarried. He's giving his opinion. It's quite clear. So it's important that we make uh, note of that, that Paul is not commanding these things. He's giving his own opinion but I think we take his opinion quite seriously because he says, as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. He's the great apostle Paul. He's apostle to the Gentiles. His conversion to Christ was dramatic. He's seen the risen Lord. God speaks to him and speaks through him. And so when he has an opinion about something, you better be listening. It's an important opinion that is weighty. But nevertheless, it is an opinion, and he is not saying it is a command from the Lord. And this is what his opinion says in verse 26. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that is good for a man to remain as he is. Like last week, we saw if you come into the Christian life um, uh, uncircumcised, just stay that way. If you come in as a as a slave, it's okay in recognizing that you are free in the Lord and and, and and just learn to be content in whatever circumstances you are called to the Lord. And here he applies it to marriage by saying, if you are unmarried in view of the present distress, just stay that way. Here is the thing that we don't know. What is the present distress? What is the crisis? It's important because he bases his argument on something that is happening that he doesn't say, tell us what it is. It is so important and they understand what he's talking about. He understands what he's talking about. But he says, my argument is based upon the fact that there's something going on. Some people think that it was a famine in the land and was causing a lot of financial hardships. Some people say that maybe persecution had started in the church. We don't really have any historical evidence. that's really, really um, helps us to understand that. But something is happening, and they understand it. So when he says, in view of the present distress, they go, yeah, they know exactly what he's talking about. So it might be like this, say at the height of the pandemic, I I was away uh, traveling overseas doing a missions trip or some kind of of study leave for many months and we had a number of young couples in the church who wanted to get married. And I were to write back to the church and say in view of everything that's going on, what would you immediately think? Everything that's going on. You know everything that's going on the pandemic and the financial crisis and all the things that are going on, if I were to say, in view of what's going on, I think it might be a good idea that we just put a moratorium on weddings right now. That's kind of like what's going on here. And I think, since he says, a present distress, it is something that may pass in time. And I think we need to keep that in mind. It might be the key to understanding the most more difficult part of the passages. So he says in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? He doesn't use the word marry, but he says if you are bound to a wife, do not seek to be released. So if you come into uh, your faith and you're married, um, men, you don't seek to get free of that relationship. He might be talking about betrothed here because betrothal was a binding contract that you would enter into two families, not just the man and a woman, but the, the fathers of these families. And it was a binding uh, contractual agreement that would be consummating at, consummated at the wedding. So perhaps he is talking about betrothal at this point. Are you betrothed betrothed to a woman? Do not seek to be released from her. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Maybe you came into uh, the faith and uh, you are a widow, or you had an unbelieving spouse who left you, you had nothing to do with it, or you're just single. Don't seek a wife, he's saying at this time, because of the present distress. But then he says, and this is what he says all the way throughout, but if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. And that's the key of what he's getting at. Marriage is difficult. Marriage is complex. And there may be some circumstances in life in which it might be proper to delay a marriage. And that's what he's saying basically here. So just let's just get right to a couple of lessons here that that I think will help us. Number one, if you are single... I would like you to consider, and the Apostle Paul would like you to consider, that God may be calling you to a life of singleness. You may. God may be calling you to that. Whether you've never been married, whether you were previously married, perhaps you are divorced or widowed, consider that God may be calling you to a life of singleness. And that's basically the emphasis that Paul is giving throughout the passage. It's a good thing there are advantages to living a life of singleness, is what he's going to say. We know that there are great advantages to being married, and that is the norm. But he is saying, consider that you may be called to a life of singleness. Now, as we saw earlier in this chapter, singleness is a gift. It is a gift of celibacy that a person is able to go through life, and, they, and, and they're able to leave, live a life free of those passions. Some people are gifted that way. Most are not, but some may be, and there may be some, even in our congregation, that need to think about that. Second of all, our second lesson is this. Circumstances may delay marriage, but don't let them become an excuse. And I think we see more of that in our culture than we see the other, that people use circumstances to delay marriage. Marriage. I have an opinion as well. And I think Paul would agree with my opinion. And my opinion is this. Long engagements are not wise. They're foolish. You're asking for trouble. Sometimes people use circumstances as a means of uh, delaying uh, a wedding or delaying um, uh, marriage itself. And I say this after decades in ministry, the, You know what the bottom line is usually? Money. The bottom line is usually money. So here's the way it goes. And people say that, you know, there are exigent circumstances. There are pressing circumstances in which it may not be wise at the moment to go forward with a wedding and a marriage. Maybe there's an illness in the family. Maybe a bride or groom are ill. Maybe there's a geographical issue that needs to be taken care of. And there might be some practical things, but they should be temporary. But today, in our society, most young people are predisposed to delaying rather than committing, particularly young men. And so, young men, I'm talking to you, okay, particularly... You know, young Jimmy, he's shuffling his feet and he's got a girl and and maybe they're wanting to get engaged or they are engaged. And he's going, you know, I just have um, six more years of night school and then I'll be free. (laughs) You think I'm making stuff like that up? No, that happens all the time. And so once I get through college, then we'll be ready. Once I get through, uh, I get a mortgage. Once I get settled into my career, then that's the time to get married. Tell you what, four years of engagement uh, through uh, through college, you're asking for trouble. And young Jimmy, you're a better man than I. And the the reason that Paul says this is, earlier he said it is better to marry than to burn in your passions. And honestly, I can tell you from experience of counseling many people, it is not wise. We We use many, many excuses for young people to not get married, and young Jimmy, um, he will keep her on the hook for a long time. And you know that, don't you? It's oftentimes that young woman will stick with Jimmy for year and year and year and year, and she's waiting, she'd marry him in a minute. Jimmy, fish or cut bait, right? It's time to do the right thing, either you cut that young woman loose or you do what is right if you love her if it is the right thing and you don't have the gift of celibacy now is the time to get married and you know what parents oftentimes contribute to this you know you shouldn't even think about getting married until you finish college you shouldn't even think about marriage until you uh, have your career you shouldn't even think about college until you pay off your student debt you shouldn't even think about marriage until you think about uh, paying off your car and that's not even talking about children What is the bottom line? Money. Money should never be the bottom line in anything in life. It's important. It's important to consider. But if that is the bottom line in which you make decisions, you're asking for trouble. I've seen more and more young Christian couples over the last few years who live together. And you know why? Pragmatism, money, it's easier that way. Jimmy, don't use that excuse. Long engagements are not wise. So, there are reasons to delay marriage, but don't use circumstances as an excuse. The second thing we see in verses 29 through 35, is that worldly concerns, there are worldly concerns to consider in marriage. You need to think about what marriage is going to entail if you are a young person. If you are not married, if you are formerly married, if you are a widow, and you need to consider that that marriage is very, very important. He says in verse 29, This I say, brethren, that the time has been shortened. And he ends these verses in verse 31, For the form of this world is passing away. We live in an age of anticipation of the return of Christ. Our time on this earth is limited. It is compressed for the believer. You do not have forever on this earth. And you need to live as one who is detached from the world because the world is passing away. Every aspect of our life should be lived with this eternal perspective in view. Our time is limited, and we are here to propagate and to promote the gospel, and we are here to let go of the things of the world. Therefore, we are called to adopt an urgent and eternal perspective on our lives. Your job, your family, and particularly your marriage even is what he's getting at here. We are to live with a certain detachment From all things in the world. So, given that, he goes on to say this, it might help you to understand what he's saying that he's not speaking literally, but it's rather in a poetic way. The time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Because of the age in which we live and our role in propagating the gospel, we are to live detached from the world. So when he says, you are to live, husbands, you are to live as if you didn't have a wife, he's not saying you live your your life and you just forget about your wife. That's not what he's saying. Because we know the rest of what scripture teaches, don't we, about this? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Our love for Christ is to exceed the love, our love of others. Matthew and Luke, Jesus taught that. And Unless you love me more than father or brother or anyone else in the family, you're not worthy of following me. And so we know that that's, Paul is not saying act like you're not married. That's not what he is saying. He is saying there is a detachment in this world because marriage is passing away. It's part of the world. Notice what he said, that those who have wives should be as though they had none, and he's going to talk about that that later. This is one of the things of the world, marriages. See that in verses 39 and 40, there is no marriage in heaven. And so we are to live lives focused upon Christ. So so when he says weeping and rejoicing, we're not to be controlled by the changing circumstances of life. One day you're going to be up, the next day you're going to be down, but you can't be controlled by that. Buying and possessing and use of the world. The world is passing away. And materialism and love of the world, that's to be renounced and given up because we live as those who are looking forward to the hope of Christ that he might return at any moment. So knowing what he's saying there, he goes on to give some very practical advice. Verse 32, But I want you to be free from concern. And he's going to talk about unmarried men and married men, unmarried women and married women. And so he says the one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. It's true. If you don't have the encumbrance of marriage, you've got time on your hands. You've got energy. When you're single, you don't have to worry about a text that says, Honey, can you pick up some milk and hamburger buns on the way home? You don't have to worry about that. It's not going to happen. You don't have a honey, you don't have a spouse, you don't have to worry about picking up your socks if you're single, or putting the toilet lid down, or which way the toilet, uh, the toilet paper rolls, or putting your dishes in the dishwasher, okay, that's enough. You don't have to worry about those things. He says in verse 33, "But, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. It's, it's just, he's just stating a fact. He's not saying marriage is worse than being single. He's just saying, when you're married, you have concerns and responsibilities that are very important you need to take care of. And when you're single, you've got some freedom. You have some freedom that the, that the married person doesn't have. He goes on, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin. So here he talks about the virgin is the one who's never been married. But the unmarried could, in this case, he's talking about a woman, could either be a widow or her perhaps a woman who came to Christ beforehand, her un- unbelieving husband left her. But this woman who is unmarried and a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, she may be ho- that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. It's common sense. He's just stating a fact. Those who are married have responsibilities in marriage, and it's good. It is good. But those who are not married, they're free. They have more time on their hands, while young and unmarried, to pursue God in a relationship with Him and to live a life of holiness because they have time on their hands and they don't have the encumbrance of marriage, which is not a bad thing. Marriage carries with it commitments and responsibilities that are important, and unmarried men and unmarried women do not have those commitments and responsibilities. He says um, the man, the one who is in the Lord, he, he is um, uh, the, the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world that he may please his wife. Again, that's where he says that marriage is part of the things of the world. It's passing away. There is no marriage in heaven. But here on this earth, while you're married, it's one of the things of this world, holy matrimony. But a husband has to please his wife. That's hard, men. You know that, don't you? And I've been in ministry for many years, and I've never known a pastor who has not struggled with serving God and pleasing his wife. Because it is easy to make the church your mistress. It's easy for any of you to make the church your mistress and trying to serve the church and the Lord rather than your spouse. And there's a warning there for all of us. It's possible, though, to be singularly devoted for both. When when he says in verse 35, This I say to your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. I think he's talking to both married and unmarried there. Because God requires undistracted devotion of all people, whether married or unmarried. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, except If you're married, no, he doesn't say that. Love me more than anyone else? No, except if you're married. These commands are not just for single people. We can live an undistracted life. So when the scriptures say, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Your devotion to your wife is your devotion to Christ. And you can be singularly devoted to Him while being married. The command to wives, wives be subject to your own husbands. And what's the next phrase? As to the Lord. Ladies, your devotion to your husband is your devotion to Christ. And you can be singularly devoted to them. So, a couple of lessons here. To the single I say this. While single... Pursue holiness with all that you've got. You've got the time. You've got the energy. Consider carefully and take seriously the commitment and responsibilities of marriage that are coming up. But count the costs before you get engaged and before you get married, recognizing that you're not going to have the same freedom. Once you're married that you have while you're single, you're not responsible to someone. You don't have the same commitment. But once you are married, things change in a good way. They change in a good way. Marriage is the hardest thing you will ever do. Marriage is the best thing you will ever do. And you can be singularly devoted to both Christ and your spouse. So if you're single, pursue holiness and make the most of that season in life to walk with God, to read, to study, to listen to sermons, to to serve the Lord, to try out your spiritual gifts, to even think about maybe singleness being uh, God's call in your life, but pursue it while you have the time. Second of all, Christ requires a singular devotion to him, whether single or married. Again, that singular devotion, that undistracted devotion to the Lord, is not just for single people. It is for all of us. We are all called to serve God and to focus our lives on Him, whether called to marriage or whether called to singleness. We are called to an undistracted focus and devotion to Jesus Christ. And we can. We can do that by His Spirit because we've been given the command. So we've seen practical reasons to delay marriage and worldly concerns to consider in marriage. Young people think about what's ahead and count the cost. And that's why we, we believe so strongly in premarital counseling for those who are going to get married. There's so much to tell you about how difficult it's going to be, how wonderful it's going to be, how what the, the problems are that you might have, how to resolve those problems that you might have. So we take very seriously the commitment to premarital counseling. The third thing is that there is a genuine freedom in the decision to marry. Paul has very been very clear about it up front, and here's where he gets to probably what the real question was. We still don't know what it was. But there is a genuine freedom for people to get married, to make that decision. He's already said it. If you want to get married, fine. If you don't want to get married, that's fine, too. I prefer that you don't. So here is where we have the interpretation or the translation problem. I'm going to put up to you, for you on the screen the New American Standard Version and the English Standard Version of verse 36. And you'll see the problem right away. NASB says, If any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. The English Standard Version says, If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. The NIV, by the way, is very similar. It says, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward his virgin, he is engaged to. Uh, Engagement is not a concept that was even part as a Western concept, so it's an unfortunate translation. But here what we have, and I, I think I put it up here. Where you see the words in italics, and in the New American Standard, whenever there is a word that is not in the original, it's put in italics. Not for emphasis, but to show you, like in, in parentheses, that it's not in the original. If any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, the word daughter is not in the original. Literally it says, if he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin. That's all it says. In the English Standard Version, it says, if anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, that's in italics, because it is not the word betrothed, that is the word virgins. So we have a problem. He may be talking about betrothal, and that may be what the sense of the passage is, but we have to be careful in the translation, and, and you can imagine... Um, all manner of ink has been spilt about, you know, what does this really, really mean? And if you want to study that out further, I'm going to let you do that. But I I think that in the end, the application is the same. If it's a father in betrothal, a father basically has the control over his daughter, virgin daughter, who's never been married. He's got an arrangement, an agreement with another family, another father. And basically what he's saying, if... If he realizes that his his daughter does not have the gift of celibacy, the gift of singleness, he should let her get married. Maybe she's boy crazy. Maybe she's head over heels in love with this guy. It is not a wise thing for him to say, I'm just going to keep her a virgin. Uh, John MacArthur thinks that he's talking that there is a vow that a father has taken to keep his daughter a virgin. It could be. We don't know that really for sure. But... If the betrothal, this is the the classic interpretation of the of this passage, that you have a father whose daughter is a virgin, and uh, the question is, is it a sin for her to get married, or is it a sin for her to to remain single? And the bottom line is, dads, if she's not built for the single life, you let her let her get married. The other version, if you have a man who is betrothed to a young woman. And in this case, he is having trouble with his passions, and it can be translated either way. In other words, he is not gifted with singleness and celibacy, and he's acting unbecomingly toward his, his own virgin, and that's the word, not betrothed. If he's having a hard time, it's okay, get married. In fact, it's better that you do, perhaps. So those are the two ways that this can be interpreted. And he goes on to say in verses, verse 37, for instance, of the in the ESV, whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and is determined, this is his heart to keep her as his betrothed, to keep her as a virgin, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Paul shows his bias, his opinion. It's better not to get married. New American Standard says, But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but his authority over his own will, and has decided in this in his own heart to keep his own virgin, he will do well. And he, if, in other words, he recognizes that she is gifted, and I'm just going to uh, allow her to stay a virgin for however long. And she says, "Thanks, Dad." <laughs> not how that works, but <clears throat> excuse me. And so then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. In any case, however this is translated, you see that there is freedom. They have the freedom to make the choice. If you are engaged, you have the freedom to get married. If, you're not, if you, are, uh, you have a, a, a father who has made an arrangement with another family, he has the freedom to let his daughter get married, or he has the freedom to say, you know what, she shouldn't get married at this time. I think the only solution here. Because one of the problems is when it says uh, with a betrothed man, to keep her as a betrothed, what's the purpose of betrothal? It's marriage. How long are you going to keep her? How long do you keep her before you marry her? I think he either cuts her loose, Jimmy, either fish or cut bait. He either cuts her loose or maybe the present distress relieves that tension in time, and so therefore it's an opportunity for them to get married. So, again, in either case, Paul's advice is that it's better not to get married under the current circumstances, but it's not a sin if they do. He gives freedom. So some lessons here. Men, and I'm talking to Jimmy mainly here, take the lead in engagements in marriage. Single men, you should be driving the process of preparation for marriage. I've done a lot of weddings over the years. I've done a lot of premarital counseling. And I can I, let me ask you a question and see what you think. Um, who do you think usually calls the church to set up premarital counseling? The bride or the groom? Unfortunately, that's true. These things ought not to be. They should be driven by men. We're showing spiritual leadership in the beginning. Otherwise, for for the woman, it's you know, I got flowers, I got a venue, I got a caterer, I got a pastor. It's part of the list. I always tell couples, I'm not on your list. We're preparing you for a lifetime of marriage, not a wedding. And so, Jimmy, out there, young men, it is up to you to take the lead in these things, and I encourage you to do so. Single women, second of all, listen to the advice of your father. Father knows best in most cases. Take seriously the input and the advice and the counsel of your father when it comes to whom you should marry and when you should marry. He has experience. I know that maybe he's not a believer, but you might still listen to him. God may speak through him as you honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother is a commandment for all of your life. It's not just for kids in the house. Uh, Obey your parents in the Lord, children, and, you know, put your clothes away because dad said so. Honor your father and mother is lifelong no matter how old you are or your marital status. And even if they're not believers, you can still honor them by asking, Dad, should I marry this woman? Dad, should I marry this man? In most cases, in most cases, parents know more than you do. Just realize that. Second of all, or third, rather here, fathers... Do not underestimate the responsibility and the influence you have with your unmarried daughter. She's your baby girl. She will always be. You are always going to be dad. And you have a special place. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe you failed. Maybe you had a rocky relationship. And maybe you could have done better. Yes, you could have done better. You are still your daughter's father. And do not underestimate that power, that, 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 just that position that God has placed you in, that you have with your unmarried daughter as she, as she grows up. How important it is you t- for you to be involved in that. And sometimes circumstances may warrant waiting to get married. And a mature Christian father is a rich source of marriage. This morning in the first service, I almost got myself into trouble because there was a story I wanted to tell about my wife, and she was sitting over here, and I forgot to ask her. So I said, Honey, can I tell that story about uh, before we got married? She goes, Yeah, I think. Here's the story. Long before she met me, she was engaged to someone else. And it was right up to the wedding. They had the presents and everything. You know, It was ground zero day she was at home with her dad the wedding came up he was reading the paper he dropped the paper down and he said you can do better she cut it off because of her dad's advice and I hope she did do better but uh, (laughs) I think she did and her father's not a believer But God used her. Had she married that man, she said many times she would have been divorced a long time ago. And we're together. And that's what uh, marriage is all about. So dads, do not take for granted the influence you have. Finally, in verses 39 through 40, we see that widows, we, we see the freedom of widows in the Lord to marry He says in verse 39, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. A widow or a widower who is a Christian is free to marry another Christian. But Paul says, but in my opinion, this is how he closes it. She's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I have the spirit of God. Because there were some who were saying, well, the Spirit of God has told us this. And Paul says, no, I've got the Spirit of God. Widows are important from th- throughout the Old Testament. Paul talks, We see them in the Old Testament. We see them in the book of Acts. We see Paul talking about them here. We see Paul talking about them in First Timothy. We see uh, James talking about widows play an important role in the church, and we have a responsibility to take care of them. But death breaks the bonds of marriage. And the death of a spouse is that one unambiguous, clear circumstance in which remarriage is allowed for a Christian. Divorce is always murky, always, very rarely clear. We see the same thing in Romans 7. This is, by the way, you know, we ever wonder where we get the idea in the the wedding vows, the last words are, Till death do you part. Do you know where that comes from? Right here. Right here. Death dissolves the bond of marriage. Jesus, when asked, so this guy who's married seven times, who's going to be his, his wife in heaven? Jesus said, no one. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are they given a marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. It's a great mystery to me. Um, I've been married for a long time. To the, What does that mean? I've thought about this often. The love of my life. We've become one flesh. We've made babies. We've made memories. We've made war. We've made peace for many, many years. What kind of relationship will I have with Tara in heaven? I don't know. But we won't be married. We know with certainty that we will all be totally fulfilled in Christ And there will be no regret and there will be no defect that you are not married and and the fact that you are no longer one flesh with your spouse, there is one marriage in heaven. We are the bride of Christ. It's mysterious to me. But Paul allowed for this freedom. And so the lesson for you, if you are a widow or a widower, is this. Widows and widowers, you are free before the Lord to remarry a Christian. And if you are, came into the faith divorced, or if you had a, a biblical divorce, that freedom is there as well. But we're talking about widows and widowers. And I know I've talked to, to, over the years Uh, We just over in the last 10 days, we did two memorial services of those who lost spouses. And I can't even imagine. But I've talked to many widows and widowers over the day who have this idea. Honestly, I think I'll be sinning against my former spouse if I get married. No. I think I'll be sinning against God because I was one flesh with this person. No. You're free. Okay. Okay. You are free in the Lord. Paul says so. We declare it right now. You are free in the Lord to marry another believer. However, secondly, consider if you are a widow or a widower, that perhaps the single life might be what God has called to you for the rest of your life. It might be the best choice for you to serve the Lord and to serve your family. You might be gifted and called at this particular time in life. That this is how you finish well is by remaining single and serving him to the best of your ability. And Paul says that would be better. That's his opinion. So in conclusion this morning, marriage is important. It's important. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's the best thing you'll ever do. Singleness is a gift. You may have it, you may not, but it's an opportunity to serve God unbounded, unencumbered, considerate. But all can serve Christ with a singular focus in devotion to him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness. Pray that you would give wisdom to those in our congregation who struggle in these areas to know what you've called them to. Thank you for making it clear in Jesus' name. Amen.